Welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm Tom Hart. I'm a senior research fellow um, in the development and public finance team um, here at I, here at ODI. Um, welcome to um, our, our second main session, where we'll be looking at um, some digital public finance reforms outside um, the finance ministry. And I think we're adding an extra. Um, you know, if we thought we had some challenges and difficulties from from the first session. We're, we're adding an extra layer of that here because um, public finance reforms that involve a kind of distributed set of users where you're trying to change the behaviours and practices, not just of a kind of small group of reformers inside the finance ministry, but uh, um, behaviour and, 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 and um, uh, behaviours of potentially tens of thousands of distributed users across hundreds or thousands um, or even more as we're here in, in the Indian case. Of, of people at the front lines of service delivery and the way that they're interacting um, with financial management systems as well. So we've got three great presentations um, for you from India, um, Tanzania and Uganda. Um, I'm going to introduce um, the speakers first. Um, so online we have um, Prashanth uh, Chandramuli Swaran, uh, Prashanth, sorry if I have butchered um, uh, your, your name there. Um, Prashanth is the Associate Director for PFM at the EGOV Foundation, which builds open source digital public goods and works with governments and markets to drive uh, population scale digital transformations. Uh, Prashanth leads EGOV's work on PFM, which aims to provide a secure and highly scalable platform that facilitates the exchange of financial information across all levels of government. Um, before EGOV, Prashanth helped build one of the largest urban development capacity building programs in India and has worked extensively in the urban service delivery, um, urban development, livelihoods, water supply and sanitation disciplines. Um, with us here, we have um, Dr. Gemini Mte. He's the Deputy Chief of Party of the um, Public Sector System Strengthening Plus project in Tanzania, um, which is funded by USAID and implemented by ABD Associates. Um, Gemini, uh, uh, Gemini coordinates cross-sector strengthening of uh, public financing and financial management systems, including improving strategic purchasing, revenue collection, budgeting, planning, and expenditure management, um, and citizen engagement to improve service delivery. And beyond that, um, Gemini has over 10 years experience as a researcher um, in health financing and social protection. Um, we also have uh, Sheila Chigozi, who is director of ODI's budget strengthening program in Uganda. Um, she leads a team supporting reform of the intergovernmental fiscal transfers in Uganda, working across the Ministry of Finance and the social sectors. And Sheila has a particular focus on the education sector. Um, she's also worked on broader public finance reforms, including initiatives to improve budget transparency and accountability. Um, previously, she's worked as an advisor in South Sudan, and prior to this as an economist in the Ugandan Ministry of Finance. Um, so uh, thank you for our, our, our panelists here. Um, we're gonna do a bit of a game of two halves in the presentations here. Um, I'm gonna first ask them to kind of set out the, the um, reforms they've been working on. So, so what was the problems the reforms were trying to address and what are the approach and the systems that they've been um, trying to implement to address those reforms? So we'll have each of them, will go through those. And once we've done that, we'll then have a bit more of a conversation trying to looking at the successes and the challenges that have been had from, from those systems. Um, so uh, first of all, over to uh, Prashant to, to start us off. 
Okay, thank you very much, Tom, for the kind introduction. Um, I'm Prashant, and as Tom mentioned, I'm from the Eagle Foundation. Uh, Tom, I'm just going to quickly uh, share my screen. Please let me know if it's visible. That looks good. We can see that. All right. All right. So uh, I represent the public financial management mission at the Eagle Foundation. And as Tom mentioned, we actually care deeply about uh, service delivery and hence we've built a lot of digital infrastructure around that, but also look at uh, you know building state and market capacities to be able to achieve uh, the sustainable development goals, which we wanna to contribute towards. And these are some of the focus areas that we work with. So um, it was the public financial uh, management challenge that I'd actually like to speak about today is, uh, it actually stemmed from some of the conversations uh, that we were having with uh, a subnational government in India, the state of Punjab. So our uh, local governance, the urban governance uh, platform was actually implemented in Punjab. And uh, we were trying to understand what is the barrier to effective, functional and robust service delivery, right? And the flow of funds actually came up as something that was very critical in terms of how big a barrier it was. And uh, to be able to dive deeper into this, uh, we signed an MOU with the Department of Governance Reforms and the Finance Department in Punjab in the presence of the senior most bureaucrat in the state to be able to look at how we can streamline this flow of fiscal information. And uh, that led to actually a lot of research that we started out with before we could even uh, solidly define the problem, right? We wanted to understand who were the various actors in the system, what were their interactions, and also the different systems and tools that they were using in runtime. Uh, it's a very cluttered slide, I apologize, but uh, largely the information that we could understand uh, here was that the flow of information in the PFM cycle was actually both slow and limited. And this resulted in a number of gaps in the PFM processes that we were seeing on the ground. And uh, that actually meant that each actor at any given point in time at best probably had partial or fragmented information available to them. And say examples that we found were, uh, you know, fund allocation. There is allocated sanctioned funds, but when would the department receive it? Uh, what is the current, uh, you know, financial position, consolidated financial view of a line department real time? or even looking at some of the challenges uh, at a slightly higher level of saying there are fund outlays, but what are the outputs on the ground corresponding to these funds that were utilized? So considering uh, these uh, kind of, you know, um, interactions that we were seeing and this information gap that was evident, we uh, went back to the finance department in consultation with them realized that we should probably pick a particular line department to go deeper and identify how a solution approach can be uh, brought out. And for that, we actually went to, uh, just a second, I think this has to be moved slightly, yeah. Uh, and for that, we actually went to the water supply and sanitation department uh, in the government of Punjab. So the department of uh, water supply and sanitation has a mandate of uh, ensuring that the rural local bodies are uh, financially sustainable and they uh, provide sanitation and water services to the rural communities in a timely and effective manner. 
So in this system, if we look at the entire value chain, the actors start all the way from the citizens who are the consumers of the water service and sanitation services, the Gram Panchayat Water Sanitation Committee or the GPWC, which is the rural local body in charge of uh, delivering the services, the line department itself, which has the mandate, like I mentioned, the power corporation and the finance department. And we identified the key challenge, a unique challenge that each of these actors were facing. So citizens their biggest concern was uh, unreliable and poor quality of water. Now what this means is the citizens had no clue at what time they would get water and for what duration would it be. On average, it was one to two hours, but despite having the right plans in place, the timing of water supply was not consistent. And uh, this meant that they were obviously not satisfied with the services. And that sort of led to a problem for the local bodies, the rural local bodies, because they were not able to collect adequate water charges. So disgruntled citizens weren't willing to pay on time, uh, would make the collection agents from these rural local bodies go door to door, multiple follow-ups. And uh, that meant that they never had enough uh, revenue to be able to also meet their expenses and be fiscally sustainable. Now the department, the line department in itself actually had the mandate of ensuring that these bodies are fiscally sustainable, but they have no visibility on the revenue and expenditure information of these bodies because these are by nature autonomous bodies. And hence they had uh, no access to this information whatsoever. Most of the information with the water sanitation committees was actually in their physical registers. The power supply corporation is involved because electricity for water service delivery is basically how the power cooperation is involved here. And uh, because the Gram Panchayat Water Sanitation Committees or the rural bodies did not have enough uh, funds, they were not able to meet the electricity expenses among other expenses as well. So there was uh, water is a very, uh, you know, it's a political subject, so they can't stop electricity supply because water is a basic utility, it's a basic need, hence it becomes a very uh, difficult situation to tackle. So obviously the power corporation also can't stop the, uh, supplying electricity because there are arrears. And all of this sort of mounts to the finance department in the manner of a large fiscal shock. So there's a sudden demand, a large amount of expenditure has to be covered. And this uh, over the few years, I think about a couple of years ago was almost $35 million plus. And this had to be paid by the finance department, which means that they are then not able to uh, focus on some of their priorities. And uh, when we sort of look back, just abstracting at one level higher, we could really, document the pivotal problem in such a way that you know the flow of money which was a concern for effective service delivery is actually linked to the flow of fiscal information in the reverse direction and that information is actually like i said slow limited is also at an aggregate level uh, down to the last mile you don't have a disaggregated view of where money was spent and what it bought uh, this information was also inconsistent and incomprehensible. So when we look at the sheer number of actors in the system, right, then we know that uh, the cost of coordination is going to be something that is extremely high. Uh, that is, and you could argue that, you know, different systems, we could look at integrations, but then if you have n number of systems, then you have n into n integrations, right, which again, increases the complexity. 
Uh, and also the burden of interoperability actually rests with, say, particular individuals, either the government employees themselves or actually the citizens who are availing services. And this means that they have to understand the system that they're working with, the requirements of uh, information and data, and then input it accordingly or exchange it accordingly. Thus, there was actually a dire need for trusted data to flow in the system and also an exchange mechanism that could actually accelerate the flow of information, making it real time, making, making it electronic. So this was largely the problem that we were trying to handle. And the solution that we came up with was the, how do we look at a standardized format for a real-time information exchange between these different agencies. So normally you look at the whole set of uh, funding agencies and implementing agencies and their stakeholders. So information has to flow in a timely manner. So that is where the idea of IFIX came from. IFIX is actually a fiscal information exchange. It's an open source uh, fiscal information exchange platform that enables uh, connected entities, right? Government agencies or departments to actually exchange fiscal information with each other without having to invest in any new system. They can use it, they can do it using their existing systems without having to integrate uh, from point to point, all of that. So this open source free of cost platform is uh, what we had built. And the exemplar of it happened uh, in Punjab in the same situation, the problem statement that we looked at earlier. But uh, what does it mean for uh, Hyfix, or uh, what does it mean when we say, you know, fiscal information exchange? So we basically look at, uh, say, the PFM cycle as a series of fiscal events, right? You have your uh, estimate or plan, etc. And I can go into this in a little detail, but uh, I will be covering that slightly later. But these fiscal events are largely the set of information that a funding agency wants from an implementing agency. So uh, how will that information then be allowed to uh, be shared between these bodies? There's, it's almost like how email exchange happens right today. So it's, there is an event structure that largely captures inputs or attributes. Um, such as, you know, who is the creating entity, who is the approving entity, uh, what is the source of funds, what is the amount, is this a capital expense or is it an operational expense, and so many other uh, attributes that can be covered because these are not the eight exhaustive events that we are currently working with, this is an evolving set. So, so many further attributes which can be covered. So, you, in essence, have... Um, you know, the why, the what, the who, where, and when of uh, financial transactions. And this information when made available between different uh, agencies, between the funding implementing agencies, or between different line departments and the finance department, the cost of coordination comes down through this visibility layer called IFIX, and also the whole transparency and accountability situation improves. Um, so going back to the water exemplar, how we did this or how we put this into practice to showcase the potential of real-time information exchange was we actually developed a, a mobile app which these village bodies could uh, use and there are four key fiscal events that they uh, deal with demand which is basically a financial a fiscal event which uh, deals with transfer of money into the government account or into the rural bodies account in this case. Receipt is something uh, which talks about 
money uh, the receipt is basically the acknowledgement of receiving money against this demand which is raised the bills and payments or rather their expenses and payments are also fiscal events that deal with the rural local bodies having to spend money and what they spend on to be able to deliver the water service and payments against these expenses in a timely manner so when you look at the mgram seva app which is the mobile system that we built for the local bodies that pushes data through ifix and this is available to all across all governance levels to the administrators who are able to look at these fiscal dashboards to understand what the real time position of any rural local body is and uh, if you remember the power corporation uh, and the challenge that they had they are also now able to directly post their electricity bill or the demand a request for you know payment or transfer into their account that is posted to the mgram server directly and basically the rural local body will receive this notification and they can also make payments there on the app and a receipt or an acknowledgement against the payment is also instantly issued onto the application so that also helps administrators understand whether there are any you know pending bills from uh, other line departments whether the local bodies are actually uh, running their uh, sustainability agenda in the right manner so yeah Tom, i think the first part this is probably what you wanted right great prashant that's fantastic thank you very much um Gemini, over to you to hear about our example from Tanzania and your slides should just be coming up. Yeah, thank you. I should start by saying thank you to Ode for welcoming us to, to share this experience. So I'm going to share a bit of experience on how uh, in Tanzania we use the, the digital technology to extend the PFM systems uh, into the primary healthcare to support the implementation of the direct facility financing. So the direct facility is the initiative of the, the government sending money directly to the frontline service uh, provider bank accounts in Tanzania. So a little bit of uh, the context. Uh, we have the like a good sizable population, but also the country is following a decentralization by uh, devolution uh, policy, whereby we have the central ministries as uh, responsible for policy formulation, but the decentralized levels, it's like we have the regions, then we have the districts, and then we have the local government authorities, what 184, and then we have the ward and the village. But in terms of the service delivery uh, infrastructure with the important aspect of our talk today, we have about uh, public primary facility, uh, which are about 6,600, and also the schools about 30,000, with this kind of uh, number of public providers, the aspect of information systems becomes uh, very crucial when it comes to service delivery. So a little bit of history before the introduction of direct facility financing. This was the situation before. Uh, the funding flows, although we had a decentralized uh, structure, the funding flows, all the funds were flowing up to the level of the, the local government authorities, the blue box that we are seeing there. And uh, the planning and budgeting process also ended there. So there was no visibility of the frontline service providers. The local government authorities, in some places, the districts, were responsible to develop the plans. They took time to go around and look at the providers, what are their needs across the, the service providers, 
and everything was lumped under the local government authorities uh, budget so it was very difficult to trace out like how much resources are budgeted for each individual service provider and then on the side of expenditure management we also had a system the ifme systems uh, up to the local government authority level both the, the the planning and budgeting but also the ifme systems at that level were really not automated both of them were des des desktop-based uh, systems. And uh, you can imagine with a district where you have um, the multiple departments involved in planning and budgeting, if I am managing the planning and budget for the health sector, if I go for a travel or for training, somebody who is remaining behind, usually they have challenges. If I go with my laptop, somebody has to trace around where was the latest version because everything was a desktop. Uh, so it was really difficult uh, uh, to manage the planning and budget process. And uh, with that kind of arrangement, there are a couple of challenges. Like uh, you can see for all the, the plans and budgets that were developed within the systems, each local government authorities had to print out the budget books. You can see the volume of books that were being printed from, uh, from all the 184 local government authorities. And uh, the, the budget scrutinization team had to go through all this massive uh, volume of books. And you'll find that in some occasion, like you just require a change in one page in terms of spelling, then you have to do and go and reprint the, the whole book again. So it was an expensive uh, process uh, to do. But also because there was no visibility of the frontline service providers in the planning and budgeting uh, systems, it was difficult also for the service providers to really deliver services because you are starting your financial year without knowing like how much resources have been budgeted in the, in the plans and budget because there was no like effective feedback that was coming. And uh, the process of the local government authorities procuring the inputs and, and supply to the frontline service provider had challenges as well because most of the time, the supplies that were coming to the, to the providers were really not aligned to the, to the needs of the service providers themselves, but also there were a lot of delays. And in most cases, the funds that were, that were aimed for the, for the frontline service providers, in most case, cases, they end up doing other things, which were the priorities of the local government authorities. So at the end, there was really limited accountability in terms of service providers, but uh, it was really difficult to track uh, how the services are being uh, provided. So in 2017, uh, this USAID PSU class project, we collaborated with, with the government. First of all, it started by identifying the issues within, within the service delivery infrastructure. So we, we adapted a cross-sectoral uh, uh, approach to identify the issues in planning and budgeting, but also expenditure management. And uh, one of the, the area that was also addressed as a challenge within the government was how to manage the planning and budgeting process, but also the expenditure management. But also during that time, having recognized the, the challenges with the old system where the local government authorities were handling everything and the challenging with the service provider level, the government decided to introduce the direct facet financing. But the main question was like, okay, you're sending money to the frontline service providers. How are you going to manage that? Because once the money is in the public uh, entity, it has to follow the public financial management rules and regulations. But by that time, there was no planning and budgeting system at that level, but also the expenditure management systems were not extended up there. So uh, the first entry point was to start with the process of automating the process of planning and, and, and budgeting. So what we did, 
at the, 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 the council level, the local government authority level, we started by converting the, the, this planning and budgeting system into a web-based uh, uh, budgeting, planning and budgeting system, whereby all the entities can develop the plans, but also follow the scrutinization process, everything uh, could be done uh, online. But also the other aspect that we did, I should mention uh, a, a priori that the IFMIS system that was um, at the local government authorities was a vendor-based uh, IFMIS system. And this is the, the main discussion that we have seen here. If you're following an agile methodology with a vendor-based vendor system, it's really a challenge. It's not a, an easy system that you can adapt to your changing needs uh, across the different public entities. So what uh, we, we supported the government to do in, in that was to also start up with thinking and coming up with the, the homegrown solution. So on the side of automating the planning budgeting systems, but we also work with the government to think in terms of developing the, the local solution in terms of the, the expenditure management. But the major improvement that we did was the, the extension of this uh, co-peer firm system, the planning and budgeting systems, but also expenditure management system at the frontline service providers. So we had to work with the, the minister that was responsible for the local government authorities, but also the Minister of Finance, first to change the chart of account to make sure we incorporate each individual provider code into the system so that you can give a room for each, for each provider to receive a ceiling uh, during the planning budgeting cycle. And we did this for all the health facilities, but also the, all the primary health facilities and also all the schools, the secondary and the primary and, and, and secondary school. The most interesting part in this is on the process of, of doing this. We follow the agile methodology and in, in, in Tanzania, we call this is a blue room uh, approach. What we did was to, uh, to look through with, within the government and identify the expert. We identify the programmers, like the good people who have a good IT uh, expertise, the programmers, but also the system analysts. And we noted we had a lot of them within the government system, from the local government authorities up to the, to the central ministries. But also we had to work with the, the business process uh, experts across the, the different sectors, in health, education, agriculture, because the planning and budgeting system that we were working with is a cross-sector uh, 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 systems. So this, this team of people, the combination of this team of people sat in a room, they spent of course like, uh, like one up to two, to two months to, to do the programming of the systems based on the requirements from the users. And the local programmers were really getting into the system and, and, and uh, customize the system to, to suit the, the, the users. So these are a lot of, uh, of benefit in, in the process because it is the follow-up maintenance of, of, of the systems. And all of a sudden we managed to, to accommodate all the, all the primary facilities in the system. And they're now receiving uh, ceilings. They also develop their plans and budgets uh, where they are. But also we introduced a simple facility financial account and accounting and reporting system, which is an expenditure management system. We had to tailor this uh, expenditure management system to the demands of the facilities because we couldn't use the, the existing IFMIS system, which was a bit complex. It was ha handling a bit of complex accounting processes at the local government authorities and above. But what we needed at the frontline service provider is just an, a simple accounting system that can help them recognize receipts, but also be able to process the, the payment 
and produce the, the key required, required the financial reports. But also on top of that, we worked uh, on the side of uh, the systems interoperability because we noted that also as a challenge. Initially, you had to develop your plans and budgeting, planning and budgeting system, and then you extort the ethnic. But we had to work with the, with, with, uh, the, the, the developers to develop this, we call the, the, the interoperability layer, where we have uh, all the systems, financial uh, management and planning and budgeting systems, uh, exchanging data, it's more of a live exchange data, but also there are a couple of other systems that we are also integrated in, the, in, in that process, including the central system, because we have to allow the central consolidation of the, the financial reports at the Ministry of Finance. So interoperability involves the interoperability of the system at the local government authorities, but also the interoperability of the system at the central. And there are also other couple, uh, other sector specific systems that we are part of this uh, interoperability process. So in a nutshell, this is what uh, uh, we can say. Thanks. Thanks, Kimani. Um, so we're gonna move on to here um, uh, from Sheila now and uh, um, the reforms in Uganda. Thank you, Tom. Um, thank you, Chimney. Um, So I probably am halfway home <laughs> from Nyazak. Yeah, so we, the ODI has runs um, country projects in a few countries. So in Uganda, we have the Budget Strengthening Initiative which has been supporting um, the government in the reform to the financing of service delivery. So, um, so you know, we'll see as we go along in the presentation, but really the, the technology solution um, that we've been working with the government on is around this um, supporting grant management. So um, in Uganda, um, probably which is quite similar to many other countries around the world um, it's also a decentralized uh, system of government um, so um, local governments are mandated with you know um, service provisions so for things like you know education uh, they receive grants from the center which pay teacher salaries um, you know operation of course for running schools and other education like management services let's say monitoring inspection so I'm using the education examples because they're quite um, concrete for me. Um, and then also the capital investments. Um, so there are a number of uh, grants, obviously, that go to do this across the different sectors um, and the number of government entities that do um, allocate grants to local governments. So about 10 um, line ministries and uh, a number of grants, actually. So, but the slide I have up there um, was, so we had the glory days of the fiscal decentralization, like in the early, towards the late nineties. Um, and then, you know, during then there was money flowing in from the HIPEC um, debt relief. And then, you know, um, and, and so, so funds were flowing and, you know, I guess things were kicking off very well, but by like the mid two thousands, you know, there was a decline in the resources that were going to the local governments. So even though they have this mandate to deliver all these different services, um, the resources that were going to them were fewer. Many more uh, local governments have been created during this time. So starting off maybe from like some 40 something local governments, to date we have about 276 local governments. So you have the same resource envelope um, and yet you, you're expected to deliver uh, on the same. 
with grants that are, you know, like earmarked for particular things. So what the sectors would do um, with the same resource, once they would have a, you know, a sector policy, um, it's still just earmarked the same grant for, you know, delivering, you know, you know, we'll add this other thing, we'll add that on the same grant. So that meant, you know, that it was very hard to take, you know, a holistic approach to equity um, in allocating those grants across facilities. Um, so, yeah, and then in terms of the service delivery outcomes, obviously during that period prior to the reform that we've been working on, um, you can see that the service delivery outcomes obviously were declining. Um, there was little um, incentive for the local governments receiving so little money to, to actually account, to, to monitor um, delivery of services. So, You'll excuse my yeah. So yeah. So prior to the reform, um, we you know the, what what would happen? The grant allocation process was um, the sector ministries would use Excel spreadsheets to kind of you know allocate grants um, to the local governments, um, and then submit this to the Ministry of Finance. But sometimes a very you know opaque spreadsheet. So when I had um, Henny earlier saying we had three hundred forty. Fairly, maybe we didn't get to 340 spreadsheets, but but very close given the number of grants that were coming in. Um, and so, someone at Ministry of Finance had to actually, well, there was barely any checking to do. Sometimes you did. So, it meant even though they had a formula to use, um, you know, heaven knows if they used it. Um, and then, so the Ministry of Finance would check, consolidate, and then, you know, do those allocations. But that meant, you know, that very often um, that there were inequalities in how the grants were allocated. Um, so many times what the sectors used was um, sometimes it was, they were very much cost-driven of course, like the input driven. So if it was maybe education, you're just looking at enrollment and not balancing with other factors for targeting. So things like population, ETC, the area that you have to cover to deliver that service. Um, and then, then obviously the grant fragmentation, which I mentioned slightly earlier. Um, and then for the Ministry of Finance, it's really, you know, you had different people, let's say in the budget team, are working on this spreadsheets, you know, um, coming in from the different sector ministries. So what's the Ministry of Finance, um, sorry, a few more slides showing some of the situation here, like it's really just drilling down. So in terms of the inequalities and in the allocations, you had a range of, you know, like let's say on average across both the districts and the municipal local governments where you, you know, the variations in allocations will go per capita, let's say 80, and then as low as maybe 10 um, per capita allocations uh, for grants. Um, and then equally, there were cases where um, the grants, let's say the poorer areas, when were receiving still less um, uh, allocation than, you know, let's say a much more well-off local government. So um, that's really down to the details. And then this one here is a specific example from education. Again, um, you're looking at per capita um, capitation grant. Um, Again, about from the low end of having seven, um, seven US dollars about um, per capita vis-a-vis -vis like, you know, close to a hundred US dollars per capita capitation uh, allocation. 
And then things around um, people teacher ratio, again, you're allocating let's say the same amount of money to, to a local government one that has, you know, a class size of probably 100 um, pupils per teacher um, and one that has probably around 20 and you're all getting similar same size development grant. Um, so that wasn't really tenable. So what we worked on, uh, what the Ministry of Finance, like we supported them to do was to uh, create an online uh, platform uh, which we call the uh, Online Transfers Information Management System, or TIMS. And uh, one of the developers who, who's like kind of the mastermind behind this is called Victor Tim. So we usually joke around about like, you know, uh, property rights <laughs> and who owns it, but it's owned by the government, Ministry of Finance. So what that system does, um, it's essentially almost like a centralized database that links um, data, different pieces of data that are used in, in creating allocation formula and also doing the, grant, the actual grant allocations. So you have, um, so, so you have essentially, um, is that the one slide? Sorry, I cannot see very well. So, uh, ceilings. Oh, the, okay, yeah. So yes, you have, um, so the ceilings, the financial ceilings are coming from the Ministry of Finance. So that's in, you know, it's input in the system. Um, and then, then you've got the data, some of it is more um, like just public national statistics data like population, um, poverty, land area, etc., cetera, um, which are used to create the formula. Uh, and rather to, to yeah to to create the variables um, that are used in the formula, um, and then once that's done, then the system kind of calculates the allocations up to the cost center level. So the cost center could be at the local government level, at the school level, um, or lower local governments, which would be like sub counties, one level below the local governments. Um, so this system uh, majorly was set up to do two things, um, which relate to the problems that I mentioned earlier. So the first is, is um, to create a transparent platform um, for being able to do the grant allocation. So it's not done individually using you know, separate spreadsheets um, of the system. Um, and then the other thing is to be able to do the, um, to automate the calculation of the grants that go to the, to the, to the cost centers. So, sorry, I, my vision's not very good, so I can't really see this like the counterfactor. So I think I think yeah. you're getting onto the successes now. Oh, okay, so anyway, okay. so yeah, yeah. What, what I want to do is yeah, so we've now had an overview of all the of all the systems from um, from from um, each of our presenters. Um, sorry, Rob, I just knocked um, the slides off. Um, so if you could stick them back onto um, Gemini's. Um, but what what we're going to do now is. Um, hear from each of them about the successes that they've had with those systems and then we'll move on to the challenges um and i think you know we've heard some kind of similar themes across all the systems that they're addressing problems with the visibility of financing data whether that's um you know visibility of data down to the grand pine chart what service committees leading to unpredictability whether that's visibility down to health facilities and schools which is le leading to um 
you know, the, the fact that they weren't getting um, financial allocations and receiving receiving um, all, all the goods in kind, which wasn't responsive, um, or that the Ministry of Finance had kind of limited visibility in how um, local government allocations were, were, were being made in Uganda. Um, but so let's go back to um, Prashant. And Prashant, can, can you give us um, one or two kind of key successes um, from, from the implementation of, of um, the, the um, digital reforms so far? So um, I'm just quickly sharing my screen, but I think I'll rather speak to this in any case. Um, so as we were seeing in the case of M. Gran Seva and I-6, the water exemplar in Punjab, right? The success uh, that we were able to see across was, so here you see that there's a collection agent or a revenue collector at the rural body level. And, you know, some members of the rural water committee, these are the people who actually use the mobile app, M. Gran Seva, which is then populating these fiscal events through the IFX platform onto the dashboards that the state government is viewing, which is the finance department, the water department, the line department, and also the power corporation. Now, uh, like I mentioned earlier, of course, there is uh, improved visibility. The pilot showed that, uh, you know, Gram Panchayats are more dedicatedly uh, entering their expenses and the payment status against that. They're also covering uh, demand better. And uh, for the power corporation, these pending, that's an integration that is uh, in process, but once the statewide rollout happens in Punjab, the power corporation integration will also happen. So, uh, but when we look at something that's probably a step above all of this, right? Um, see, for uh, the water department, it is it is a clear mandate in terms of how they're able to support these uh, rural local bodies. Yeah, of course, the power corporation has a benefit, finance mitigates fiscal shocks. Um, even the line department, the water supply and sanitation department is able to have more visibility on uh, what the financial sustainability is looking like for these local bodies. But what next? What comes after that? So uh, there are conversations in the department as recent as uh, last week, and I've been actually uh, traveling around meeting these folks uh, across the state to see if there's buy-in for something like this. But uh, once they have this financial information, once they understand that which are the rural local bodies that actually need a little more support, because there's also some uh, hesitance in uh, sharing financial information at the local body level. So to be able to talk to them, to make them understand that uh, there's a benefit, there's an inherent benefit. And one such benefit that I'd like to share is uh, the department is now considering having uh, water meters installed and do volumetric uh, tariff, which is supported on this system. And probably there's a minor enhancement that is needed to be able to fix the slabs. So what this will help is currently, if you see, there's a flat tariff of roughly about a dollar a month. Uh, this means that if I'm a family of two or four and my needs are very minimal, I don't have, uh, it's just basic household uh, water consumption that is needed. I'm still paying the same dollar, which another family of say eight or 10 people, they have cattle, they have poultry, they have farming land, and they're also paying the same. So essentially uh, the ones with lower consumption are uh, in effect subsidizing the ones with higher consumption. So 
an introduction of a volumetric tariff is a revenue augmentation or a revenue uh, increasing kind of a initiative that the department can then support these uh, local bodies with where currently they're not able to raise enough revenue. And uh, another uh, success that I'd like to highlight here is the actual service delivery part itself, right? Um, citizens were getting water for an hour or two hours. So what they would do is they would leave the taps open before leaving the house for work or whatever. And then uh, a, an empty bucket placed under that. So that 20, 25 liter bucket would fill out in 10 minutes, but there's water supply for at least an hour or sometimes two hours. So a lot of water wastage was happening. But uh, through being able to, uh, and I'll show you some of the stats out here, um, they're uh, able to increase the demand, which means basically now in the pilot location, what was 40% coverage earlier, 97% of households are covered. So that means 97%, roughly about 12,600 households out of 13,000 are getting their bill on as an SMS, uh, which they can trust and they can make the payment online. So the collections, which is basically the money that they collect against the bill raised, that has also more than doubled. So with this, what uh, they're able to do is actually they're able to increase the duration of water supply. So what was one or two hours earlier is almost moving towards a dawn to dusk model. So about 10 to 12 hours of water supply uninterrupted. And that will further lead to uh, reduced wastage because if you know that water supply is dependable, is reliable, I'm not going to do the same things that I was doing before as a citizen. And if this trend keeps continuing, they've been able to show, I think in about 300 villages across the state that uh, they'll probably move to 24 seven water supply, which is the ultimate outcome that they want to get to, right? So that way, I think uh, these two successes in terms of uh, the department being able to help local bodies uh, increase their revenues and also help them with reducing expenditures wherever possible, as well as uh, like the revenue collector can also double up as the pump operator and within the same salary, they'll be able to get two things done. The pump is a switching on a switching off exercise. So uh, that as well as uh, actually better service delivery at the front line. Thank you, Prashant. Um, Gemini, yes. tell us about the successes in Tanzania. Okay, thanks, Tom. So. One of the, the first success I would say is um, it's an improved ac accountability in the uh, delivery of services across all these frontline service providers because through this extension of the PFM systems, the facilities know like how much budget is available. They can monitor over time for each year, but also they can also use that, the moment they receive money, they can also use the system to monitor the implementation of the budget. So. Through these systems, they know like how much resources they have, how much they deliver, but also we have the health facility governing committees who are responsible to oversee how the facilities are responding to community need. So this, through this extension of the system, these committees also have a place to do like an audit of how the facilities are, are performing, like how much resources they have used. And also they can monitor through the system because they have to produce the report. If you are planning to do this kind of interventions, they use the reports, the system also to report on. So these committees can also use the, the report to extract, uh, to get the reports uh, from the system, but also to respond back to the communities using the information that is coming out of, of the system. But uh, the second most important uh, aspect of this 
it, it has facilitated also the buy-in of the direct facility financing implementation because it was uh, a challenge to introduce DFF if you really don't get a buy-in from the Minister of Finances. Because to the Minister of Finance, what they need to see is like, how, how are you using the resources and whether you can get the reports back. So through this extension of the PFM system, at least it's building trust with the Minister of Finances and they continue to support this initiative of sending money directly to the, to the facility bank account. And uh, the third aspect through the automation of the planning and budgeting process, the government has been able to also save uh, money that was used during the planning and budgeting process. Because for each year, we've seen the volume of printouts of books that were coming out of the system, but also staff had to travel from the 184 and GAs to go to the central minister of finance to sit and go through the books and agree and negotiate the budgets. But for now, the whole of that process can be done online. They can just look at the budget that will be submitted online, do the scrutinization. If the improvement that needs to be done, cut, cut the, the, the plans or align to the nation objectives, everything can be done on, online. So in that, we have a paper that we, 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 had, we published in terms of the, the, the cost effectiveness of this planning, automated planning and budgeting system. It managed to cut the cost at a range between 50 to, to, to 60% of the cost that was uh, used before to develop these um, uh, plans in, in, in budget. And, and uh, also the process of interoperability of these systems has also had to solve a lot in terms of the quality of data that is coming from uh, the planning to the spending uh, expenditure management system. The quality has improved, but also it has saved a lot in terms of the level of efforts that was supposed to be injected by the service providers. We have only facilities have challenges with human resource. In some facilities, you can still only have two. If they had to deal with the multiple systems, it's more time to them. But through the interoperability, once they've done their plans and budgets in the plan rep system, that budget and plans are extracted directly to the expenditure management system, and they will only have to deal with this expenditure management system to process their procurement. And the reports can be generated automatically. So the hassle of dealing with the manual system could be, has been solved through the automation process of this PFM system. We should start with that. Great, that's great, thank you. Sheila, could you tell us a bit about the successes and also the the challenges that you've had um, on the um, uh, in, on the implementation of the reforms um, in Uganda, and Rob, maybe we can have the slides back up again. Yeah. So, in terms of the successes, as um, I was saying earlier, I jumped into it. Um, so the main one, obviously, um, solved a big problem for the Ministry of Finance by creating an online, um, you know, platform where, you know, all this data that's used to do allocations um, is available. So there's a single repository online and, uh, and a simplified way for sectors or nine ministries to actually design the allocation formulas so they can do, you know, like, um, so, so you can on the system. Yeah. So I don't know the clicker is not working, Rob. So can you go keep going through the slides? One back. Yeah, so so on the system, um, as I was saying earlier, like so they can easily go in there um, and they have functionality to be able to to change allocation formula. 
or weights um, in line with some kind of core principles that you know we agreed or were agreed with the different sectors of how grants allocation formula should be done. So the example up there is just kind of showing you the way to agreed on using um, for that particular grant. I think it's the um, education language uh, recurrent grant. Um, and then the other thing is um, for the Ministry of Finance, really, it's it's just having that oversight over you know what's happening at different stages of the process. So. Um, I think that's you know like going a long way to meeting their um, uh, key need um, for them as a ministry. And then um, the other thing is really being able to enforce um, the use of allocation formula. So if I have my spreadsheet and I'm, you know I can manipulate it whichever way I want, but now the formulas are locked in there. And then you know you input the data and it, it spits out um, the allocation that goes to the local government. So that's been a very, um, you know, um, I guess successful aspect. Um, now to make that whole process work though, um, there is, you know, there's challenges uh, to do with the data that actually goes in there, the input data. So while I kept hearing other people saying, you know, interoperability between systems, um, I think we only have a small API, let's say with the budgeting system, and it's really actually this system that's feeding into um, the budgeting system from the ministry. But all this other data is coming from um, the ministries, so from their sector information management systems, like the health one or the education management information system, and also from the bureau statistics. <coughs> um, now, each year, um, when you know during the planning process, the planning and budgeting process, um, the data gets has to get updated to be able to you know to then do um, the calculations. So, but you know, usually what happens is um, every year, like oh, every other year, this in Uganda, um, districts keep giving back to more districts. Um, so we, we then have to for like sometimes split the data like across districts, move facilities, or you know, determine what population goes in different directions. Um, so, but what happens is even after you know setting templates or data structures for being able to do that, when you get this data coming in from you know the bureau of statistics or the sector, sometimes they never really do uh, they do not adhere to the templates or the you know uh, the data structures that uh, have been given. So as a result, um, a lot of the project team really ends up spending a lot of time you know. Um, cleaning data, analyzing the data, the input data, then it has to go into the system. So, you know, really we have a problem there with data governance. Um, so, so they, and there's no, we, we don't necessarily have a seamless exchange across the different systems. So it's, it's a, I guess, a key challenge for us um, on top of the success. <laughs> yeah. Great, thank you, Sheila. Um, and um, I, I want to delve a bit more into how um, uh, Gemini and Prasant you've dealt with dealing with the kind of capacity at the front line because you know as I mentioned at the start we're dealing with PFM reforms here that are um, require kind of multiple dispersed users um, to, to use these systems and you both highlighted the importance of having this kind of financial transparency sorry financial transparency from the front line right up to the the Ministry of Finance so um, how how did you address this challenge of changing the the practices at the front line um, to use these systems and to make sure that these systems actually fulfilled their promise of, of improving improving financial management across across the whole service delivery change? 
Um, so um, Gemini, why don't you go first and then um, uh, Prasanti can come in. Okay, thanks Tom. I think one, one of the important um, uh, aspects when we are, we, you're doing this kind of improvement is, is more of understanding what is the structure of uh, service delivery and what are the needs um, uh, down there. And uh, having recognizing like the context and the capacity of the, of the frontline service providers, any solution that is coming out has to align with their, their capacity. And for Tanzania, well, that was an important aspect at the very beginning, at least to come up with um, expenditure management systems that are simple and can easily be used, but also for simplicity, still need to follow like proper accounting principles. So it's, it's simple, but it's good enough to produce uh, quality financial reports and be able to also do like the closure of books of accounts at the end of, uh, of the year. So that was an important uh, aspect. But the second one is to use the use of the local um, capacity, especially what we, we did for, for Tanzania is find like a homegrown solution. I, would, I could imagine if we, we use like a vendor-based uh, off-the-shelf system and introduce to the frontline service providers, that could be a challenge. But what we did was to use the, the local capacity. They are able to customize the challenges as they come out. And the system that were developed were customizable. Like you can introduce the, the new demands as you keep on implementing. So we started simple and then keep on um, adding improvements as you, you, you gain the experience as you, you keep implementing um, uh, these systems. And uh, the, the, the other aspect is more on the building the capacity of the frontline service providers to use these systems. If you, you combine the, the total number of health facilities and for example, the schools that we have, we have more than uh, 40, around 40,000. And uh, adding on top of that, the villages and uh, the, the wards, you have more than 16. So it's a huge network of service providers. If you adapt uh, like a face-to-face -face capacity building, it's not going to work. So what we did uh, in Tanzania is to also invest on the technology again. We, are, we have developed like the YouTube videos that are uh, taking like the step-by-step -step in terms of the use of these systems. And across all these facilities, they can, they can use these uh, YouTube videos, videos to, to do the, their own training. But also we have um, uh, online uh, training materials, the online distance learning as another option where we have all these uh, system, system user, uh, user documents have been uploaded there. And they're also in a simple step-by-step -step, um, uh, approach. But also, we, we also had to use the alternatives, uh, especially in the area where you might have like limitation in uh, network co connectivity, like not everyone they have like the local area network connectivity. So the web base could be a challenge. So we, we managed to, to support the government to develop like the mobile uh, solutions. Like we have this first financial accounting and report uh, system in the mobile version where they can also they can also use at uh, the facilities. Yeah, so this is how we were trying to, to, to address these kind of challenges. Thank you. Thanks, Prashant, over to you. And then after Prashant's answer, I'll open it up to questions from the audience and also for um, our online audience, please um, send in any questions you have as well. Well, thank you, Tom, and thanks, Gemini. I think uh, you captured it really well. You said that some of the solutions that really work are the simplest ones because adoption is something that's very critical, right? When you come up with new uh, solutions, 
Tom, for us, the challenge actually was uh, the the entire system, the different actors who I earlier called out. When you when we put our uh, research uh, together, what we were often finding was that the system was stuck in some sort of a suboptimal equilibrium because the actors weren't willing to exchange information with each other due to different reasons. And uh, what was critical was to understand what the blockers were and then how could we unblock that? How could we make sure that the information is exchanged willingly? So uh, a good example, like I said earlier, was uh, the rural local bodies. Um, the simple question on their minds always would be, why do I have to share my uh, financial expense and revenue information with the department? Because the water supply scheme has been built and handed over to these bodies for operations and maintenance. So wh what is their concern? But the department has a very different agenda. It's not to basically uh, say that, okay, these people seem self-sufficient, so let's focus on somebody else. They want to understand what is the proactive and apt intervention that they should come up with considering that this is the fiscal health of a particular rural body. So this understanding, uh, this is where we need to understand who are all, like a systems thinking approach comes into play here, right? Who are the people, who are the actors in the system and what do they want from each other? Why are they not able to exchange this with each other? Um, that was something that was really helpful. And that is why actually there was a mobile application that was built for the frontline uh, staff so that uh, they could actually use it not just as a digital uh, tool to enable them to have digital data. It can actually basically help them do their accounting and do it on time because their revenue expenses are right there. So uh, that portion of it also to have like a transactional system on the front line that really helps whoever is on the ground. So we made it very simple. There are uh, people who are 60, 65 plus uh, who actually are revenue collectors in different uh, villages and they use this mobile app today without any fear of technology or, and these are not the most tech savvy of people, right? Um, there's also another uh, portion where the, See, the, the, there are a lot of people on the ground who are also interested in uh, delivering better services. These village bodies actually care about, because uh, in a village of 200 households, you pretty much know everyone, you know, by a first name basis. So they do get asked questions. There's also a, a slight political angle to it that I would like to come back and power the next term, et cetera. But largely, if you see, they are uh, concerned about uh, service delivery. And for that uh, to be enabled, the information that has to go all the way up from the last mile to the top to the finance department has to happen. So when we sort of uh, push on those agenda points, it helps. There is, of course, extensive capacity building work that has been done there. Uh, we've had uh, more than 100 uh, senior engineers in the department trained because these are the ones who will be handling the division. So how the uh, governance level is set up there is there are a host of villages, about 100, 100 odd villages, roll up to a division. And that division's executive engineer is the person in charge for ensuring that at the district level or the administration is smooth. So we trained them. We also went down uh, to individual uh, revenue collectors and had camps where we actually gave them hands-on technical training of using the application, as well as shared uh, bite-sized learning videos on WhatsApp. And uh, any workshop or training that we had, we ensured that 
at least the head of the department or probably the ones right below them were present so that there was this in, you know intention signaling of how serious the top brass is about uh, implementing this across the state. So some of these uh, methods actually helped us convince the frontline on having uh, a system, having to use a system that will help them digitize their information as well as sharing fiscal information in a timely manner. Thank you. I want to open it up now to our audience for um, questions. So um, please go ahead. Ivor. Thank you. Sorry, you might just want to wait for a mic. Thank you for a very interesting set of presentations. I think for me, I want to make a couple of kind of like observations and then a question. Um, it, there's a dichotomy I see here between what people want, you know, to solve a very particular problem, like, you know, getting the water supply and sanitation system working at the local level and the data that's needed or the, the problems that need to be fixed to make that happen, which is very local and demands, you know, a very adaptive solutions and similar, similarly in Tanzania, you know, what you're trying to do at the local government level, you're building your own system that solves a particular, you know, set of issues that you face, which is very good. But from the other end, you've got the Ministry of Finance, you know, demanding, you know, tending towards building monolithic systems nearly all the nearly all the ministries of finance that we talk to are acquiring sap or oracle which you know and are trying to perhaps adapt their processes to suit the technology that's available this whole process of and and how you make sure that what you develop at the local level is you know compatible and provides the ministry of finance with what they need um, so I'd be interested in your your observations on that kind of dichotomy of how you resolve that, how you make sure that the, the local systems marry up with the systems that the Ministry of Finance is running. Yeah, we've got another question here as well. Uh, Tom, just a quick check. Are we basically answering the question? I can't tell you how much it makes my heart sing to hear stories about improving data quality and management information. Um, so it, it was great to hear some of your observations there about uh, building capacity and uh, a kind of build your own approach as your kind of strategy for adoption and, and kind of capability building. I was wondering if I could get your reflections on the, the kind of the organizational alignment uh, part of the challenge. So how do you persuade the, the various stakeholders that you're working with and through to make time uh, for the change and to adopt these kind of new ways of working? Um, yeah, thanks. Great, got any more or let's take, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, uh, Anir Choudhury from Bangladesh. Uh, the iFix system seems uh, very promising and the kinds of problems it's solving in India, in Punjab, uh, that was just uh, demonstrated, seems very promising. I wanted to know uh, how transferable this system is across India and perhaps even across borders. So can this be used in Bangladesh or in Tanzania? Uh, how much customization may have to be done 
whether this could be uh, positioned as a DPG uh, with proper documentation and perhaps training plans. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Gemini, why don't you take the uh, Ivers question first on, on, on the fit between the local systems and the MOF systems? Um, Okay, yeah, thanks. This is really great observ observation and it's an important aspect, um, especially when you are touching the PFM system, the Minister of Finance has to be part of, uh, of the game. But I think this, to, to us, the most important starting point was what were the demands of the local government? Like whatever system that you're developing, it has to address the service delivery challenge because you need to get that right. And then the next important part we can't ignore the demand of the Ministry of Finance. And what I've noted is like, what they need is really very simple information. They just need spending by line item. How much you have spent for each input, you need to account. So what we did is like, after having done in terms of addressing the service delivery and get the, the financing aligned to service delivery, was to look what, at uh, the central system, like what are the data inputs that they need? And then we had to customize to make sure the systems that are developed at the local level are able to produce that uh, report. And it is important to have the Ministry of Finance into the room as well. But you need to get them into the room once you have done your homework. I think this started with the sectors. It was the Ministry of Local Government coming up with this initiative to develop the systems. And then after they were comfortable that they're addressing the needs of the business process people, then they had to engage the Ministry of Finance to showcase like this is what it is. And if you're sending money, this is how we're going to report. What are the additional demands? So this kind of templates that were required to report back to the Central Ministry of Finance were also part and parcel of the, the systems that were developed. So at the end, they are using the local system to manage expenditure and at the end, they're also able to produce the, the reports uh, that are required for the central level consolidation. So the Ministry of Finance is very important uh, stakeholder in this, uh, in this process. And yeah. do you want to say the question about the organizational alignment and how, how it made sure you got this, got this implemented down that kind of- Yeah, so, so really the, the important point is like for, even if we are the partners supporting, we have to align within the government processes. It is not like an external initiative that is coming and being implemented with the government. So once you start from the government, it is the government themselves, once they've seen like this thing is working, it is them now starting to align other partners. It's not an easy job because uh, taking an example of uh, the approved planning and budgeting system, of course we have uh, other partners who are also supporting the local government uh, authorities through the, the vertical programs. So the, what the government wants is to have all these partners using the planning and budgeting system, at least for the purpose of aligning resources at the local government authority. So they have space where they can accommodate uh, the interventions that the partners are implementing. But uh, it's, it's an area that still need more enforcement because not all of them are, uh, are aligned to that with multiple reasons. Some are saying like, okay, the financial years are not aligning with the financial years of the partners, but there's something can be done. Even if the, there are differences in financial year, if, so long, as long as you know, like this is what I'm going to implement, you have the space to, 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 to do that. So it's, it's an area that has a challenge, but the government, once it's a government system, they have their own machinery of, uh, of, 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 of working with that. 
but also what we did um, with this support. We identify also other partners who are supporting specific regions. So what we are doing in collaboration with the government was also to promote these systems. And once these other partners understand, they were ready to support. So we see other partners who are contributing like the training support to, to roll out this, to deploy these uh, systems across the, the locality. So it's not an easy area, but the moment you work within the government, the government should take that step to start aligning other, other partners. Yeah. Thanks. And Prashant, do you also want to take those two questions and the additional question on the um, transferability of IFIX across uh, borders? I'd probably quickly take the one that uh, came from Mr. Chaudhary on transferability of IFIX. I'd like to go back to uh, what the actual first question was. Um, so to that point, in terms of uh, transferability, uh, the one thing that we're already doing, see, when you uh, look at uh, the Indian context, right, or just largely in terms of what the government does, the main aspects are uh, delivering services to citizens, building the right infrastructure for citizens, and also benefits if they have that. So uh, there's another subnational government in India, um, Odisha, the state of Odisha. So there, uh, we're currently demonstrating how um, IFIX can actually help in infrastructure management. So there's a scheme called Mukta scheme, which is an urban employment generation scheme that actually uses community uh, wage seekers to build assets in the community itself. So let's think of something like rainwater housing structures or parks, etc. So wage seekers from the community who are most probably migrant labor who have come back because of the pandemic, these people uh, you know, offer their time and services in building local community infrastructure. Uh, and they get paid for it. So we're trying to actually showcase an exemplar where the, um, the payments, the benefits that the wage seekers get. So integration uh, of IFIX uh, with our works management platform with the IFMIS in the state to actually uh, automate payments and expedite payments also. Currently, the payments take anywhere between a month or two months, but the government aims to bring this down to almost a week. So that is something that we're already expanding the water exemplar to. So IFIX potential now goes from service towards the infrastructure management and a portion of benefits is also covered in that. So yes, it is uh, extendable. What is needed is that there's a source system. So we uh, probably to go back to some of the other questions, um, we're not looking to question any of the existing systems, but what we want to do is to be an added layer of coordination and visibility while integrating with the existing system. So that uh, the information that probably earlier wasn't there now comes in from other uh, integrations. And for this, we have what is called IFIX adapters that uh, are basically positioned on both sides of uh, say your the system where you want the information from and the system where you want the information to. So these adapters help standardize uh, fiscal events and then the exchange happens. Great, um, thank you. Let's do another round of questions, Kahal. Uh, I do look at there's also some online questions <clears throat> on the iPad. They haven't, um, they haven't come through, so, oh, here we go, right, yeah. Do a question myself. Um, uh, my understanding is that the the um, 
ICT team in the uh, the ICT team in the President's Office um, for Regions and, and Local Governments have been very influential as a driving force in these reforms. Um, perhaps you could talk a little bit about that and, and relatedly, Sheila, maybe you can then respond to that as perhaps something that um, in terms of a driving force we've been missing on some of the Uganda reforms um, in terms of the coordination issues that, that you raised. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Yes, it's true. This is where I was uh, uh, saying about the importance of the local, the local solution. So with the previous, for example, the IFMI system that we're using, by then it was an APICA system. It was, it was a vendor system. But uh, with the leadership of the, the, the director of uh, ICT at the Purage, they really have a, a good team out there. But on top of that, what they, what they did was also to look around within the local government authorities to identify like other IT people, including the system analysts, but also with the business process people. So this was the team that was uh, sitting in the rooms and developed all this system. So they were the ones that did uh, uh, the customization of the, the planning and budgeting system to accommodate the frontline service providers, but of also automating the, the whole system. We supported them also within within the PS3 project as well. We also hired a few developers and uh, and the system analysts as well. So both all of the whole of this team sat together in what we call the blue rooms to do this. So the leadership is very important within the government, but also it's more of the interest. These guys really are keen to see like the system are developed, but to them it's also the credit that they've used and they've developed the system that can be used across uh, the, whole, the whole country. So the leadership of uh, within the within the government is, is important, as we've mentioned, the city department. But also we they were collaborating also with other developers. We had people from the e-government uh, office as well, because they are the ones who are monitoring all the information system within the government. But also a few people from the Ministry of Finance as well, the developers from the Ministry of Finance. I think the advantage for Tanzania is uh, we have those people. I'm not sure if it's something that can apply and be transferable in all the countries, but I'm sure they are there. We just maybe in other countries are not known, but we, we come to recognize uh, this when we are visiting the local government authorities. You see, like they, we have very good programmers. And what they're doing in the local government authorities is to fix uh, like the electricity issues or the internet connectivity. We are really underusing them. But if you give them this kind of uh, big project, they're able to, to really deliver. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Well, I think it's probably very useful since we've done the overall because um, for us, it kind of tended to be a little bit um, not one directional, but you had the Ministry of Finance who's kind of, you know, uh, wants this and they're overseeing, you know, um, I guess the piece of the data that they want. Um, but in terms of the, um, what, what you'd say, inc like then within the line ministries that we see, then there are people within the planning unit who are master users who also do their respective, you know, like grant allocation um, tasks on the system. But um, I think what we we lack, or you know, the thing that it's what we what we are working on in Uganda is really just to bring in the Ministry of ICT um, in this discussion to help you know coordinate and you know support the different entities, um, you know, say the Ministry of Education if you're implementing your EMIS system, 
um, you know, what data standards are you using? How does it speak to, to all these other systems? So I think that's just something that for us has come at the end. Um, and it's something we're trying to, 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 to help sustain uh, the system beyond that. But um, yeah, and then the other thing, again, really, again, probably not so much in IT, but it's, it's, it was again a case of where, um, say within the grants, the system was designed with an interface that's supposed to do, you know, help implement this allocation formula um, that we agreed on as part of the reform. But, you know, as we went along, um, you know, sectors still tended to go back or to revert back to their, you know, but I need to implement these particular policies and, and your, you know, the resource envelope that you have and maybe your um, platform does not necessarily fit in the policies that I'm interested in. So it's just being able to create something that's responsive, um, I guess, to those kinds of needs, I think is really another thing that we, yeah, we hope to work on very closely. Thank you. Right. I've got a couple of um, questions from online, which I'm going to read out. Then I'll go to the audience in the room for any final questions. And then I don't want to hold people back um, from lunch uh, any longer. Um, so the online questions are, are firstly, I think these are mainly for um, Gemini and um, for Pratanth, which is uh, how easy or difficult was it to draw info um, from the from the IFMIS, both kind of any technical difficulties, but also any any to, to draw the information from the IFMIS, um, both both on a technical level and also on a political level. Um, and is this? I think I think specifically to uh, Prestanth, um, is the information exchange between the IFMIS and the I IFIX one way or two way? So, um, as well as drawing information from IFMIS, is the Ministry of Finance getting? information into the IFMIS that it didn't previously have. So that's um, that's the first question. Uh, the second question, and I, um, I think either of you can take this, which is, can the, can the app systems that are being used at the front line, um, can those work offline and then later sync um, once they've, uh, if they have data entered when they're offline, can they then later sync up um, with the main database when they're um, connected to the internet later on? Um, so those are two questions from online. Are there any final questions from the audience here? No, great. Everyone must be desperate for lunch. Um, so so um, uh, Gemini and then Prasanth, if we take those questions, and then I think um, we can wrap up. Sure, Tom. Uh, uh, Gemini, are you going first? Or? Yeah, access yeah, to the IFMIS. OK, that's fine. OK, so of course, accessing the PFM, the IFMIS systems uh, is a challenge. It's like uh, the Minister of Finance are not always uh, open with the information that is coming from the IFMIS. They are, the information that we can get, especially for, for Tanzania, anything that has to go out from any PFM system, first it has to be like an audited information. So in most, most cases, what becomes uh, public, it can be like the annual financial reports that have been uh, already audited from, from all the systems. There are cases if uh, uh, people want the specific information, like the details, expenditure information, you have to get like a request from the Minister of Finance or the request from the, the Minister of Local Government to be able to, to access. So any information that is public, first it has to be um, a, a, an audited uh, report. But 
there are cases where, of course, it is possible to get information from the IFMIS in dif dif different uh, uh, arrangements after the request from the Ministry of Finance. So it's not everything is is is, is public from the from the IFMIS. And uh, whether we can have the the offline versions. So at the moment, the this planning and budgeting and the expenditure management uh, system they are all uh, on online. Uh, we we don't have the the offline uh, versions, but these are the things that uh, the government, also, especially the IT team, they're keeping on uh, uh, thinking about it. We're having the challenges in most of the remote areas in terms of the connectivity, but uh, they have been trying to, especially with the plan ref, it's not uh, the planning and budgeting system is not a major issue because it's uh, you develop the plans and budget once. A year and then you have uh, to submit. Once it's already exported to the expenditure management system, that's, that's done. It is more an issue with the expenditure management system. So what they did, especially with the interoperability, what they did is like they have customized uh, the time, the timing when the data exchange is happening. In most cases, they're uh, transferring data at the time when uh, maybe there's uh, no overuse of the system at the middle of the night. I think that's the time when we have that good connectivity. But uh, for other systems which are not uh, uh, the PFM system, especially with, for example, we are supporting also the electronic medical reports uh, uh, systems in the health facilities. They have these offline uh, versions that the moment you are offline, they can continue providing services. And then when they have the internet connected back, they can, they can do the synchronization. The good thing with this system, because they are home solution, they can do an improvement at any time based on the, on the demands that, uh, that we have. Thank you. Prashant. Yeah, don't So um, on the first piece, I'd just like to actually go back to the example of the um, the infrastructure and benefit kind of scheme that we're talking about uh, in Odisha, right? So there, we're building a works management platform um, that will actually, through IFIX, be able to talk to the IFMIS system in Odisha uh, for where the urban local body can do uh, two things. One is to assign, have the uh, virtual limits assigned, et cetera which is basically from the state's uh, consolidated account. And uh, based on these assigned limits, whatever bills are being processed by the local bodies, that is checked for if there's sufficient balance and then processed automatically. And there's also a message back to the source system that the payment status is either completed or failed. So uh, in that way, yes, we're able to actually, um, you know, have data coming from the IFMIS, but the use cases are something that we're still building on. For example, in Punjab, this is still a work in progress where we have to identify how our source system can now interact with the IFMIS because currently it's largely for the local body's own source of funds. And But this can be expanded to the state's funds and also the center's funds. And that point, we'll definitely need to speak with the IFMIS. Um, and to the question of uh, offline support, see, we understand uh, Punjab, for example, actually, uh, everybody has a smartphone. Um, it's a slightly better connected state. So these systems are online and they work. Um, but for example, in Odisha, there are certain areas where there is this challenge, right? So our systems will be built or can have the ability to support offline. 
and a key example here is uh, we're actually in the process of uh, supporting you know the ministry of health in mozambique for their bednet distribution campaign and there it definitely needs a system that has offline capability so yes it is possible to be able to extend that and also uh, even have say uh, lighter variants of the platform uh, it's not available yet but there are discussions to have lighter variants of the platform that don't cost a lot of money in terms of uh, how it's hosted on the cloud etc so yeah right thank you very much um I'm just going to try and summarize some of the, the key themes that I took away. So I think, um, you know, we, we had a lot of talk about the importance of the information flows going, if you like, up the service delivery chain that are needed to allow the money to come reliably down the service delivery supply chain to the front line and where, where um, some of these um, digital enabled reforms re really seem to be able to be uh, transformative. <coughs> But if they're going to do that, we need to think about the kind of incentive compatibility of the systems, especially for frontline users, and making sure that the systems are providing benefits to frontline users if they're going to be reliably, um, reliably implemented. And, and this brings up the point of having the interfaces so that you can have a system that both needs the meets the needs of the, the Ministry of Finance, but also um, the needs of the users, and that those may need to be different systems that can be linked up rather than rather than a single uh, a, a single uh, large system and i think also what came out quite strongly is um the, the point about building local capacity for sustainability so these systems are locally built locally owned um rather than rather than being um kind of reliant on on external vendors um to, to come in all the time so um thank you again um to prashant for um dialing in for, from india um thank you gemini Thank you, Sheila. And I don't want to hold anyone back from um, getting lunch. And I think just to check that after after lunch, we um, are all in breakout sessions. Um, so please um, reconvene um, in the in the um, the rooms where you will be um, either uh, discussing education or social protection or real time um, data. Education in this room, and the other two across the hall. Those online, there's different links on the event. Great. Thank you very much. And